And as you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 9 and Philippians chapter 2. Just a couple of things uh, by way of information. First of all, we want to congratulate our students who graduated high school last night. We had about five students graduate high school last night. So uh, if you see them, make sure you, you send your congratulations to them. Also, we do have a business meeting right after the uh, services today, about 10 minutes after I finish, give you time to freshen up a little bit and we'll have a business meeting. Uh, it shouldn't last long. Uh, if you're a member of the church, we invite you to stay and, and be a part of that. Uh, we are in this series called I Am a Church Member, and we are working through what it means to be a healthy part of a church and what does a healthy church look like. Now, on Memorial Day, I, I shared with you some goals that we have for the series. A lot of people were out of town on Memorial Day, so let me go over these goals again. Uh, first of all, I, I pray that you will be here, that you will stay awake, and that you'll listen. I thought I might start simple. You know, that's something that we can shoot for, to be here, stay awake, and listen. Secondly, I pray that we will have a renewed attitude about what it means to be a part of a church. Uh, thirdly, I pray that we will be an even healthier church. At Murphy Road, uh, we, we have a great deal of harmony. Uh, this is really a, a neat place to be. It's not a fighting church, but I pray that in the days ahead we'll be an even healthier church. Number four, uh, that we will increase our impact on the community. Number five, I, I pray that, we will be an that you will be an incredible church member for the rest of your life. I hope that you're here uh, till, you're, till you're in heaven. But uh, if God transitions you wherever you are, here, somewhere else, I always pray that you will be a healthy, good, incredible church member. Number six, I pray that our love and appreciation for one another might increase, that we will realize that we come from different backgrounds, we have different gifts, we have different perspectives at times, but that we love each other and appreciate each other because we've all come together uh, because of the gospel and because of Christ. And number seven, uh, I pray that Murphy Church will do all things for the glory of God and not ourselves, that our church will not be about, hey, look at me and look at all that we do, but instead our church will be about, look at God, look at how great he is, look at what he's doing. Uh, here in a few weeks, we're going to be taking the kids to camp. I remember whenever I was a student minister, we used to always take the kids to camp, and that was one of the highlights of my year. And one year, we, we got off the bus at camp, we started getting situated, and there's other churches there with you. And, and there was one of the other leaders in the camp, a guy by the name of Sid. Everybody just called him Brother Sid. Now, the thing that was unique about Brother Sid is that he was about 80 years old. You don't have too many camp counselors that are 80 years old. And he had been working in his student ministry at his church for, I believe, about 30 years. He had, he had just been there. He had been the constant. He wasn't the student minister. He was just a volunteer. But week after week, he had poured himself into the lives of young people. Student ministers had come. Student ministers had gone. And there was Brother Sid. Now, the music was loud. The weather was hot. You get 500 teenagers together, and sometimes they can be a little bit rowdy. Uh, but Sid's attitude was just spectacular. In fact, at the end of the week, he won the Counselor of the Week Award. Uh, it was a little bit challenging sometimes whenever he would volunteer to umpire or something like that. But the thing that always stood out to me 
is that he was always looking for opportunities to serve, and then he was using who he was to make a difference wherever he served. Mark chapter 9 is a classic chapter of the Bible. The chapter begins with the transfiguration story where Jesus literally reveals his glory to some of his disciples. Then he comes down off the mountain and he discovers that his disciples are frustrated because they've been trying to cast out a demon and they weren't being successful. They're like, Jesus, why can't we do this? And so Jesus essentially says, well, you're trying to do it in your own ability instead of doing it in God's power and under God's authority. And so then Jesus begins to tell his disciples the game plan. Now, many of his disciples at this point were following him because they, they wanted something out of Jesus. In fact, a lot of them probably thought that he would be a revolutionary, that he would conquer Rome, and that he would set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and that they would be in prominent positions within the kingdom. So Jesus starts turning that paradigm around and telling them, this is what my mission is all about. Verse 30 of Mark chapter 9. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them. Here's what he's telling them, all right? The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. Jesus is prophesying. He's foretelling the future. We're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed, and after I've been killed, three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. Verse 32 says, but they did not understand this statement, and they were a little bit, they were a little bit, that's lash language there, and they were afraid to ask him. Back to camp. As great as a man as Sid was, there were some other counselors at that camp that just didn't seem to really get it. Uh, there was one night in particular that I remember we had had a, at our camp we used to have a Bible time after the evening service, and so we'd gather our student ministry group together and we would share about what God has done, and that particular night was one of the most special evenings I've ever, I've ever been a part of in ministry. You ever been a part of a service or a mission trip or just a moment where God's power just came down in a very powerful, powerful way. Anybody ever been a part of something like that? Uh, that night was like that. In fact, we had, I believe we had 14 young people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that night. It was just a powerful moment. So we head back to the dorms. In this camp, all the boys slept in one big dorm together. And so the lights were already out in the dorm. So my guys come in, they're, they're late for curfew, uh, they're getting into their bunks, they're a little bit noisy, wake a few people up. There's a little bit of a disturbance there in the boys' dorm. So the camp mafia comes looking for me. They're like, where's Lash? we got to talk to him. So they pull me aside, and they're like, you're late for curfew. Why are you late? Tell us why you're late. And I'm like, hey, guys, you know, we had an incredible time at our, our Bible time. Uh, the Lord really came down, and, and we had 14 saved, and I know they're a little excited, and they, they woke some people up, but, but I mean, you should, you should have just been there. It was incredible. And I, I never will forget the reaction of one of the other counselors because it really cut me deep. He, he, he kind of put his head down like this, and he said, well, that's great, but we have rules. And I thought to myself, 
that pretty much sums up everything that's wrong with the American church. It's great that the Holy Spirit did work. It's great that people got saved. It's great that lives were being changed. It's great that incredible ministry was going on. But you know what? We have rules, and you didn't follow our rules. You didn't do it exactly the way that you were supposed to do it. So everything else is thrown out the window because you didn't do it the way we thought you should do it. Jesus is pouring his heart out to the disciples, and they aren't hearing it. Now, the reason why they weren't hearing it is because they were focused on themselves. The story continues in verse 33. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Hey, guys, when we were out on the trail, and you were in that little huddle, and you were arguing, and what was going on there? What was that about? But they were silent. Now, why were they silent? Because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. They're walking down the trail with the Son of God, arguing about who's the greatest. Now, there's some irony right there, isn't it? Hey, I'm a better preacher than you are. No, you're not. Hey, I'm going to have a bigger church than you will. Hey, I'm going to sell more books than you'll sell. Hey, I'm going to get the corner office in heaven. They're going to give me the stretched chariot whenever I get into the kingdom of God. I mean, these guys, I mean, they're totally not getting it. They're arguing about who's the greatest. I think in their mind, they had this image that Jesus had been born of a virgin, the wise men, the shepherds, that all this had taken place so that they could be comfortable. And that was their goal. Who could achieve the greatest personal success? Who could be the most comfortable? So the Bible says Jesus sitting down. Now that's always scary when the Son of God sits down. He calls the twelve. Come on, guys. Come on in. We, I need to talk to you here. We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. So he says to them, I'm glad you liked that. I thought that was funny myself. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Ouch. I mean, Jesus wipes out their hard drive right there. You guys arguing about who's going to be the greatest. If anyone of you wants to be first, if any of you wants to be a leader, wants to be great, if you want to do something significant with your life, you've got to realize that you're last of all and servant of all. That true leadership serves others. And they pour themselves into the lives of those around them. If you want to be great, guys, you've got to start seeing, you, you got to start seeing and caring about the needs of others even more than, than you're caring about your own personal well-being. An observation that I've made lately is that a lot of people out there are just miserable. You ever looked at people at an airport and seen the look on their faces? They look like they're in misery. Kimberly Vince texted me last night. Uh, uh, Vince's daughter works uh, for an airline, so he gets to fly standby. So he texted me last night from 32,000 feet in the air. And uh, he, he was flying to Baltimore to represent uh, our church at the Southern Baptist Convention and to be there. And uh, so he's texting me from 32,000 feet in the air. He says, hey, I won the, the standby lottery. I'm in first class. 
says, this is great. I got a big chair. It says, cookies are in the oven. And uh, the flight attendant just asked me if I want warm milk to go with my cookies. And I thought to myself, how crazy is this? He is flying through the air like a bird, sitting in a luxurious leather seat, eating chocolate chip cookies and drinking warm milk and texting me in Texas. And he left his wife. Everybody say boo. Yeah. Next year, you get to go, okay? I thought, this is like something out of the Jetsons. This is crazy. I mean, this is better than anything Disney World has to offer. You sit in a seat and fly through the air. And yet you look at the people sitting in the, in the plane, and most of them look absolutely miserable. Last uh, January, I took my kids over to Fort Worth. They had the Curious George exhibit there in Fort Worth. So we met up with my sister, and the kids were just having a ball looking at all the Curious George stuff. And there were probably 1,000, 2,000 kids running around the display. And for a moment, I just kind of took a step back and looked at the adults. And the adults were all like this while the kids were playing around on this. Uh, you know, these, these are the kids they had prayed for and longed for. And they're like, I don't have time for you right now, kid. Yeah, go enjoy Curious George. Just help me. Get me out of this place. And I, looked, I just looked at the adults and they, they just looked miserable. We have more stuff than we've ever had. We are more connected than we've ever been. And yet many of us are bored. And a lot of us, even though we have all this stuff, we're really not happy. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people can be miserable. But one of the reasons why people are often miserable is because we've never learned the reality that God created us to serve rather than to be served. That God created us, He knit us together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by your God in such a way that your life can impact other people's lives. And as long as you live all of your life with a consumer mentality that everybody owes you and that everybody is serving you, you're always going to have some level of discontent and unhappiness. We have to start getting beyond ourselves and realizing that God has put us on this earth so that we might love Him, love others, and, and, and love our neighbor, love one another and love our neighbor. And until you quit viewing the church and life as all about me and all about my needs, you're always going to be unhappy. One of the most energizing things you can do is to genuinely love and help others. I think that's what Jesus wanted the guys to get here. You're so worried about who's the greatest. You really need to be thinking about others and, and how you can serve others. And so in verse 36, he took a child and he brings the child here. And he says, you know, stand among them. And taking that little child into his arms, he says to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. He brings this child in and he says, hey guys, this kid has needs. You've been ignoring him. You guys have been talking about yourself. Maybe they had been uh, enjoying a meal. They had been enjoying time together. And nobody had noticed the little boy over here. Everybody was ignoring him. 
And Jesus says, stop. Welcome him. Say hi to him. Find out how you can make a difference in his life. As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people. It's kind of what pastors do. We talk. Uh, We talk a lot. And I also have these three kids. And so a lot of times whenever I'm talking to some people, there will be a kid hanging on me somewhere. (laughs) And uh, one of the things that I've, I've just picked up on is those people that want something from me, maybe they have an agenda, they're really trying to get something out of you, those people that want something from me, they almost always ignore the children. But those people that want something for me, those people that I feel like they genuinely care about me and really want to have a conversation with me, not just trying to get something, they almost always stop and say hi to the kids and take time to notice that there's other people in the conversation. And Jesus says, hey guys, you need to stop. You need to notice the needs of others. Let me just hit pause here because there's something that we need to be thankful for as a church. And that is the fact that we have children in our church. Now, you may have children in your home. You may hope to have children in your home one day. Uh, You may be way past that stage. Uh, You may be still a child yourself, and so you're not, it's not even on your radar right now to have kids. As a church, though, we have to really appreciate the fact that we have kids in our church. In fact, if you, if you visit a lot of churches, you'll find that uh, one of the signs of a dying church is there's no kids around. There's no kids' ministries. There's nothing on the campus really for them. Uh, a lot of times they want kids to be around, but there, but there are no kids around. And, and we're really blessed to have a lot of kids. In fact, I was talking to the preschool children's and student ministers the other day, and I was asking them, okay, what's some of the greatest challenges that you face? And all three of them independently said, uh, we need more space. We need more space for the kids. And I thought to myself, what a great problem to have. We need more space for our kids. That's great. That's, that's a fantastic thing for us to be dealing with as a church. Now, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to transform this campus into a detective agency. And you're going to walk into church, and it's not going to look like a church. It's going to look like a detective agency. And you know what? No one's going to complain. Why? Because we're spending that week investing in the lives of kids. And we're going to have 100 volunteers up here on campus throughout BBS week. And it's going to be hot outside and the kids are going to be loud. and Not everything's going to go exactly the way we envisioned it or planned it. But we're not going to complain. And you know why? Because we're spending that time investing in the lives of kids. And Jesus taught us to take notice of that kid over there who needs somebody to love them. Needs somebody to notice what's going on in their life. And to help them, encourage them, grow and mature into the man that he can be. Let me talk to you about five things you can do to kill your church. Five things you can do to kill your church. Encouraging message, right? Uh, Paul, you taking notes on this? Five things you can do to kill your church. Number one, quit sharing the message of Jesus. Quit talking about the gospel. Talk about everything else but the gospel. You can, you can kill your church real quickly. Number two, live in the past. Uh, We should always appreciate the past. We should always honor our heritage. We should always learn from the past. 
but we can't live in the past. Another part of living in the past sometimes is, you know, things used to be in such a way that we liked them, maybe at one time, and then things change, and you're like, I just wish you could go back to the way it was. Live in the past, and you'll kill your church. Number three, ignore the community. Don't pay any attention to the people that live around us. Don't, don't worry about where they come from. Don't worry about the needs. Don't do anything to reach out to them or to do ministries that push us out beyond the walls. Just ignore our community. Number four, fight over our preferences. Let's divide over what music you like, how you like to dress, what version of the Bible you want to use. Let's, let's just form a list of preferences of how you think it should be done. It doesn't have anything to do with doctrine. It's just your preferences. And let's fight over those things. If we do that, we can kill our church. And number five, make comfort our priority. Our top priority in life is just to be comfortable because that's why Jesus came. That's why he was slaughtered on the cross. That's why he rose again. That's why he went to heaven and is coming back so that we could be comfortable. Amen? Uh, make, those, make, make that our priority and quickly we can kill our church. I, I've seen this in ministry up close and personal in the digital age. It can happen so quickly that if we get our attention off the right things and onto the wrong things, we can very, very quickly destroy something that is so beautiful. Now, the flip side of this, let me give you five things you can do to help your church. Share the message of Christ. We're about the gospel. The gospel is our core. It's our engine. I say it often. We don't preach and teach uh, self-help with a twist of Jesus. We preach soul transformation, the story of the gospel and what God has done for us. And that is the answer to the darkness of the human heart for the gospel to shine its light into our hearts and to transform us. Utilize every tool God has given us to minister to others. Utilize your experiences. Utilize your spiritual gifts. Be a resourcer. Be generous in giving. Make sure that the ministries of the church are never underfunded. Make sure that we're never lacking for resources to be able to do what God has called us to do because we're utilizing every tool that God has given us to minister to others. Number three, love your neighbor. Jesus had something to say about this. He taught us to love our God. He taught us to love one another as believers. And he taught us to love our neighbor who is our neighbor, you might ask. He then gave the story of the Good Samaritan. Loving our neighbor means we meet them at their point of need. Aren't you glad that the gospel doesn't meet us where we should be, but the gospel meets us where we are and takes us to where we should be? And ministry, we, we can't just sit here and complain about everything that's around us that we don't like within society. We have to be willing to minister to people and reach them at their point of need and help them get to where God wants them to be. Number four, you can help your church whenever you are willing to lay down personal preferences for the sake of the gospel. We all have preferences. We all have things that we like and we don't like, and uh, hopefully most of the preferences that you have are met here, but there's always going to be something. You know, if I were the pastor, I would do it this way, or if I were the music leader, I, I would do it this way. Or this is, we're always going to have some preference. It's not exactly the way that you want it. But we all have to be willing to lay aside personal preferences for the well-being of the church and for the well-being of the gospel. By the way, I'm the pastor. 
And there's certain things that I prefer that that's not how we do it. And it's not because, I mean, it's just because we can't all have all of our preferences met. So we can fight over those things, or we can be willing to lay aside preferences for the sake of the gospel. Number five, embrace the discomfort of faith. Anytime God calls you to do something, it's always going to cause a little bit of crisis within you. It's always going to stir up a little bit of doubt. God, you really want me to do this? There's always going to be these moments where you think about running from the calling of God and just go over here to where it's nice and safe and comfortable and just hang on to safety. But God says, no, I I want you to embrace the discomfort of faith. And sometimes that means getting out of our comfort zones and doing some things that are a little different for us. But whenever we, when we find ourselves living our life in faith, that's where God grows us and matures us. I was thinking about Aaron and Lindsay. You guys started a new life group today. You're smiling because that required some faith, didn't it? Yeah. Beyond the comfort zone to faith. And as believers, we have to be willing to embrace the discomfort of faith because whenever we live in faith, that's where God really matures us and grows us and does spectacular things through our lives. Philippians chapter 2, I, I want to read this passage, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be through. The Bible says in verse 5 of Philippians 2, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. So he's talking about attitude here, okay? Man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon. They need an attitude adjustment. All right, your own attitude, Okay. And the Holy Spirit even inspired it to say, your own, okay? So make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The passage begins with, this is what your attitude should be like. Your attitude should be like Christ. There was Brother Sid, 80 years old, 100 degree weather, 500 students, water bombs coming in from out of nowhere, loud music out there on the softball field, umpiring. I'll never forget his wardrobe, white t-shirt, baby blue Bermuda shorts, black over-the-calf dress socks, black dress shoes. Some of you guys are saying, what? Sounds good to me. We can talk later. As an umpire, he missed every call. He was horrible. You've heard people complain that the umpire needed surgery, eye surgery. He really did need eye surgery. 
He couldn't see. As a man, though, he hit every heart. He had a contagious joy. And, and the great secret of his life is that he had learned that to be first, he had to be last of all and a servant to all. And because of that attitude, he deeply impacted the hearts of those around him. And here's what I believe. I believe your life can deeply impact the hearts of those around you. I believe you can be that kind of individual that makes that difference in the lives of others that other people look at and you say, say, you know what? They walked beside me when nobody else would. They were there for me. They encouraged me when everybody else was discouraging me. They picked me up when I messed up. They helped me along the way. They were there. And they made a difference. And God used them. Would you stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you, Father, for this church and the opportunity that we have to just be here together as a family, united by Christ. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that that we won't be a show. I pray that we won't be about ourselves and that we won't be a country club where we pay our dues through offerings, but Lord, may we be a church. May this be a place where there's ministry, where the gospel is preached, where people grow in their faith, where worship is real, where fellowship is sweet. I pray, Lord, that we might use our gifts and abilities, our talents, our resources to make much of you. Lord, help us to let you overflow in our life so that so that so that the joy that you've brought to our hearts might overflow into the hearts of others. And Lord, give us those opportunities to meet people at their point of need and give us the joy of seeing people grow and change and be transformed by the gospel. Father, help us. Help us to do everything for your glory and not for our own. Lord, thank you that we don't walk alone, that we're in this together. Thank you, Father, that we come from different backgrounds and have different perspectives, different gifts. Lord, use it together for your glory. In Jesus' name.